Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Good morning, everybody. Let's get started today. I have... I have about 34 pages of notes today. Not even close to exaggerating. Um, But if I can be honest, all 32 are just to get me to that last two pages. So don't worry, we're not gonna actually sit there and go through 34 pages of notes. I'm I'm loving this this journey we've been going through on X on uh, I'm almost at Exodus on Acts, um, and we're gonna pick back up in chapter seven of 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 Acts. We're currently in the middle of Stephen's uh, argument, if you will, to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would be the political and religious leaders of that day. Um, uh, in America, we have a separation of church and state. Uh, the, the Jewish nation did not. It's all together. Um, and I'm not trying to belittle anyone or to um, have a bad comparison. Uh, but think of modern day um, Islam where the caliphate rules. You have elected officials right? Um, But you still have the caliphate. You still have um, the religious leaders that are still kind of pulling the strings. And so picture, if you will, um, the religious and the political figures together, actually in unison. Crazy thought. Um, And they're in unison on the idea of hating this man, Stephen, and all of the Christ followers. And Stephen, so far, has begun to walk them through some of their uh, church history, if you will, their religious history, and we found ourselves ending at the beginning side of Moses, where Moses has uh, killed a man, um, and thinking that by killing said uh, Egyptian that his people would rally around him, but instead they turned on him and said, who are you to be ruler over us? And Moses fled. And verse 30 is where we're picking up in Acts chapter 7. But as we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that as we dive into your word, that you use everything that we have here before us today for your glory. Everything for your glory. Not just the things that have been studied out, not just the things that are laid out, but God, your glory is what we seek. Life change is what we desire. And as we dive into your word, God, let it be alive. Not a story, not a fairy tale, not just something that sounds good for a moment, but life change in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 29, back it up. Then at the saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. Verse 30. We're going to read 30 through 34 right now. And when the 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight and he drew near to observe. The voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. 
Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them. And now I come, and I will send you to Egypt. And the first part of this says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in the wilderness of the Mount of Sinai. Stephen here is, is speaking to this very intimidating and distinguished crowd, this council, and he's walking them through the, uh, the, the effects of what's taken place. And I love this because Stephen is yet again pointing out this idea here, is that God shows up to a man, not in a temple, not in Jerusalem, but in a cursed land, which would be the captivity of the land of Egypt. And he is standing here before these men saying, they did not have have to have all of your rules and all of your regulations because God is bigger than you. Today, God is bigger than me. God is bigger than this church. God is bigger, not bigger than organized religion. God is bigger than every single thing. And while this church and while organized religion is great and it is wonderful, God can speak to you not through man's means, but any means that God wants. A lot of times he does speak to us through men. A lot of times it's through a message or through a song or through something that God is using. But God has tools in his tool belt that are bigger than your current perspectives. In this moment, God decides to take a plant, light it on fire, and speak through it. And notice the idea that a plant would internally combust did not shock Moses. What shocked Moses was that as this plant burned, as this bush burned, it did not get consumed. He stops to marvel at this fact that something in the natural, a plant being on fire, which is normal, is acting in an unnormal way. Can I tell you, in a lot of ways in your life, God will use the very natural things of this world to act unnatural or uncommon or unordinary, uh, and it's meant to catch your attention to stop and ponder at what this means. Moses saw this. He marveled at it, and he drew near. This is the thing that is supposed to be taking place in all of our lives, is that God speaks, and he does. We marvel, or should we say we wonder, we look at it and go, man, what is this about? And then we draw near. Just a few minutes ago, uh, we had uh, a moment of worship, and, and uh, I don't know about you, but like, I, I felt God's presence. Something shifted, something moved, and I paused. I paused to go, is it just me? Is somebody else feeling this too? Is this a collective move? It's not the air conditioning. What's taking place? I watched Marsha, I watched Elaine, I watched EJ, and I went, something is taking place. So then I went, huh, I wonder what something is going on. And I watched and I marveled. And then it made me go, well, let me now draw closer to what's taking place. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes when you're in a moment in the presence of God, your mind can rush and it can run in a million different directions. But let me give you a bit of advice. If you look to your left, you look to your right, and you see people entering in the presence of God and you don't feel it, that's a key 
for you to draw near. Come on. That's good. Moses decided to draw near. God didn't lasso him with a spiritual lasso and pull him closer. Moses saw something. He wondered about something, and then Moses chose to draw near. A lot of times when the presence of God comes in, you have to choose to draw near. You choose to take a step. I don't feel it. I don't want it. It's not happening. God knows where I'm at. Yeah, he knows where you are, and he dropped his spirit right in front of you, and all you have to do is respond to it. Moses responded. And I love this. After Moses responded, God spoke to Moses. How did he speak to Moses? He speaks to Moses with these two important words at the beginning, I am. This is the same phraseology that is used later on when Moses is going before the elders asking, who do I say sent me? And he says, you tell them the I am sent you. I think this is an important part of my life. Maybe it's an important part of your life too where you've got to realize who your I am is. He lays it out. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. What he's doing is he's laying out his resume. And this is an important part because I have to sit back and I ask myself on a regular basis when God comes in, what's going on? Because according to Moses, he is now in hiding. He is now a shepherd. He thought he was a deliverer. He got rejected. He ran away. And for 40 years, nothing happened. And all of a sudden, the I am shows up. Yes. And I don't know. Maybe it's economic, maybe it's health, maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual. I don't know every issue that's going on in your life right now, but can I tell you when the I am shows up, everything can change. But one of the biggest things that Moses had to understand is that the I am comes with an I am resume. Because in a lot of ways in our lives, we have tried so many different things to get to where we want to be, to get to maybe where we think we're called to be. But when the I am shows up, he looks at you and says, I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who delivered you. I'm the one who helped you. I'm the one who restored you. You remember when you were broke, busted, and disgusted? I am the one that fixed you. You remember when your marriage was falling apart? I am the one that restored. Remember when your, your kids were going back crazy? I am the one that brought them home. Remember when you were on drugs and you had no life? I am the one who shook you back to life and said to come home. I am that one. And if he was that one, he is that one. And he will be that one. But what you have to do is you have to realize, first and foremost, it is the I am that does all things. Remind yourself of the I am. Can I tell you, the enemy wants to remind you of his I am. He touts that on a regular basis. But you know what? Let me pull that back just a little bit. Because a lot of times, I don't believe he wants to give himself credit. He speaks through you about you. 
Because what happens is, is that you'll hear me today talk about the I am wants to restore you. And then yet at the same time, there's another voice that goes, huh, well, you are the one that destroyed your life. I am the one that messed myself up. I am the one that did all of these issues. I am the one that caused all of this mess. I am the one that did the drugs. I am the one that's an alcoholic. I am the one that ruined relationships. I am the one. And the enemy the entire time wants your I am to be about you. But God's I am is meant to be about him. And as long as your I am is about you, you will always be small. And you will always be weak. And you will always be discouraged. And you will always be depressed. And you will always be busted and disgusted with yourself. Because if you are your I am, you are weak in all areas. But if you can say, no, 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 I may have messed up, but he is my I am. I'm going to take his glory and place it instead of my wickedness. Because that's what atonement does, is it takes your wickedness and you put the blood of Jesus over it. So when God looks through, he sees him, Amen. not you. Amen. Replace it. Verse 35 says this, Then Moses, who they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is this not the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in a bush. And he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt. Yeah. Open up to Exodus chapter 7. One of the cool parts about ministering the gospel is that you have a plan. You have a path that you want to walk through. Very rarely do I ever show up to preach and not have an idea of where we're going. I sit and I pray. Pastor Allen can attest to this for hours, weeks. You, you prepare, you do all your study, you do all your research. And then it seems like um, God um, says, good job but we're not doing that on a Sunday morning. It's unlike Alabama's offense, you gotta read the defense. And so today I show up with all of these options before me. And I go to preach and I go, do we stick with plan A or do we go Omaha, Omaha and, and shift? And we're gonna shift for a second because um, I knew we were shifting on that, on that song. And here's where we are. In Exodus chapter 7, the children of Israel are wrapped up. They have been in captivity for 400 years. Remember, last week or the week before, we talked about that God told Abraham that he was going to send his descendants into captivity, and then that God would judge his captors. And we're about to watch this unfold in an unbelievable way. Verse seven, chapter 7, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be a prophet, and you shall speak all that I have commanded you, and Aaron, your brother, shall 
tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land, and I, I like that if you can, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people. Notice, my armies and my people. When did they get armies? They were slaves, no? They were masons. They were farmers. But to God, he saw this entire time a mighty army laying inside what other people just called slaves. Isn't it good to know that your God sees more in you than you see in yourself? Bring my armies and my people, the children, out of Israel, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by my great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old. And Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. I don't care how old you are in life. This is not when they lived to be 900 years old. Moses did live a long time. I think he had another 40 years left in him after this moment. But in his 80s, he began to walk in his destiny. I know that's disheartening for people in their 20s. It doesn't always work that way. But I do want to encourage somebody that if you are in your 50s, if you are in your 60s, if you are in your 70s, if you are in your 80s, if, if you're in your 90s and you go, where has God been? Can I tell you, it's not too late for him to work through your life. Because God to time is nothing. To you, time is everything. God, I prayed last week. How come it hasn't happened yet? And God laughs. It's just a moment. It's the ultimate checkmate. And you've got to realize in life, your timetable and God's timetable may not line up the same, but when God says go, he restores things. Well, my body aches, or I'm too young, I'm not intelligent enough, I've missed my time. Whatever the answers you may come up with with God, he restores all things. He does all things. He's just waiting for somebody to draw near and say, yes, sir. Skip down to verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Why is Pharaoh's heart hard? Because God made it hard. Let's just start off with that one. Man, Moses, can you believe he said no? Who'd have thunk? So go to Pharaoh in the morning. When he goes out to the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. With a rod that turned into a serpent, you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go. That they may go into a promised land and be happy for the rest of their lives. That they can live in comfort and joy and eat grapes and bonbons forever and always. I don't know what a bonbon is, but it's the right sounding. No. Can I tell you the purpose of your release from captivity is not so that you could be happy with life, it's so that you could serve him. Amen. Yes. 
Because it is in your service to the King of kings and the Lord of lords that you will truly find your happiness. There's a lot of rich people that have comfort that are miserable individuals. And there's a lot of poor people that serve God and are extremely happy because joy is found when your uh, purpose is revealed, not when your purse is full. They may serve me in the wilderness, but indeed until now you would not hear, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Behold, that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and, I, and they shall be turned into blood, and the fish that are in the river will die, and the river shall stink, <laughs> and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of that river. So this is what Moses does. Exactly what God says to do. The water turns to blood, the fish die, no one wants to drink. This is the first plague, and, and as Aaron, the spokesperson for Moses, touches the rod to the Nile, it turns into blood. Later on, we're going to find out, for time's sake, I'll fast forward in, in Exodus 12, that God wanted everybody to know that my children will, my, 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 my people will worship me in the desert. I will pronounce judgment on Egypt. And there's a phrase that people miss in verse 12. And their gods. That doesn't make any sense. Until you understand right now that the very first God he executes is Hepi. H-E- he is the God of the Nile. This Nile River flows through. It provides life. It provides uh, everything that could be. They would pray to this God. They would sacrifice to this God. They would take their riches and their jewels and their ornaments and they would throw it into the river to pray that it would not flood too much to wipe their houses around, but not flood not enough to keep a, a famine going. They needed that perfect amount of rain and an expansion of the Nile so they could have all their needs. And God, standing there today, goes, I'm going to kill this God before you. And the very first God on his hit list is right here. Every single plague that we watch is not because that it was just meant to make things uncomfortable, but it was an execution of God's divine judgment, not only on the Egyptians, but on their gods. Because every single one of their gods that God annihilated before their people was meant to show who actually is God. Chapter 8 says, the Lord spoke to Moses and says, go to Pharaoh and, and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they will serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite your territory with frogs. The next God is actually a goddess of fertility. She's pictured as a human body with the head of a frog. And the whole idea here is that you would pray to her to have fer a fertility in your, in your family, fertility in your land. And it was a sign of frogs. And what happens is that the frogs by the thousands jump out of the Nile River and go everywhere. It's interesting that they're praying for something that has now become accursed to them. Pharaoh then says, please, please, please take these frogs away. So... What does God do? 
Verse 10, he said, Tomorrow, let it be done according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like my God. And the frogs shall depart from you and your houses and your servants from all your people, and they'll stay in their rivers. Then Moses and Aaron went from... Moses and Aaron went from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died. And they gathered them together, in verse verse 14, they gathered them together in heaps, and it stank. So far, God has executed the God of the Nile the goddess of fertility. Now he's going after the god Geb, G-E-B. And we see this take place in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron stretch, Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land that it may be lice throughout all of Egypt. God, that's horrible. And so they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand on the rod and with the rod in his hand and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast, and all the dust of the land became lice throughout. That's horrible. Geb is the Egyptian god of earth. Geb is the one that controls all the dirt. And I find it interesting to me because Geb, being the god of dirt, is in direct opposition of our creation story, no? Didn't we create it out of the dust of the ground? And you see Geb here as the ruler of the grounds, of all the dirt, and in a single mode, Aaron strikes the ground, and their god now has produced nothing but lice. That's miserable. Lice on all people. Even the Egyptians, the magicians say, this is from the finger of God. Next, God goes after Hippri. This is a cool one for me. The Lord said, rise up early in the morning in verse 20 and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Let my people go that they may serve me or else if you do not let my people go before, I will send swarms of flies on you. And your... Does anybody else have a different version? No? Okay. Uh, I'll keep reading. And the ground which they send. And in that day I will... Set apart the land of Goshen, which the Israelites lived, in which my people dwell. No swarms of flies shall be there. Here's the cool thing about this God. He is a human body with a head of a scarab. Looks like a beetle. Uh, One version I love specifically doesn't use the word flies. It calls them blood-sucking insects. This God... uh, according to Egyptians, uh, was the one that they actually got this from a version of the dung beetle. You know, like the beetle that is on his hind legs and rolls poop around? This is a god they worshipped. But what they would say was that he would roll the sun. That he would take the sun up and bring it down to the underworld at night so that they could have light and then bring it back up every single day. And now... All of these bugs are eating them. 
They're sucking the life right out of them. Number five comes through hard. When death of cattle and livestock show up, this is the god of Hathor. This is actually a goddess that comes through. And there is such a curse that a plague sweeps across all of their livestock and wipes them out. Once again, God's showing his immense power. Number six, the god Isis. I know, ironic, right? This is when Moses takes dirt, throws it in the air, and they have boils all over their skin. This God here is the God, ironically enough, that is supposed to be the deliverer of pestilence and disease. That when they worshiped God, they would have all of their diseases taken care of. And here's the funniest part about this whole thing. Because boils and sickness swept through Egypt, they were unclean and could no longer offer sacrifices to their gods. Number seven shows up. The god Newt, the god of the sky. Hail comes falling down. Fiery hail, actually. So I can, we would say this is a meteor. Uh, comets, if you will, come raining down and destroy their barley. Number eight comes through by Seth. He controls parts of the sky, and now all of a sudden locusts come down and eat up the rest of their grains. Number nine, the god of Ra, the sun god, the ultimate god, is now blackened out for three days. And the Bible says it's so dark they could feel the darkness. All of this time, Moses goes to them and says, let it stop. Just let it stop. The Pharaoh's heart would remain hard. Here's the crazy part. is throughout each and every one of these plagues, if you will, Pharaoh would begin to negotiate with Aaron and Moses. Now one time he says, just go ahead and worship your God, but stay here. Moses says we can't because what the way we worship, uh, God, I should have wrote this in my notes, so good. The way we worship would be too offensive to your Egyptians. And y'all would try to stone us. And that's some serious worship. That's more than just a serving the platter during worship kind of movement. Like, I mean, you're worshiping so extensively that it's going to offend people. What if your worship actually offended people? What a shame. Because God knows we need to make sure that our church, never mind. All right, so one time he looks at Moses and says, who all wants to go worship? Moses looks at him and says, all of us. What do you mean all of you? All of us. He says, your elders can go. No. Now time he says, your men can go. Leave your kids and your wives here. One time, y'all can, y'all can go, and then he changes his mind. Then blackness comes. You know what's interesting to me is that God uses a, every, 
every moment so far, he's used a natural reaction to something to communicate a supernatural principle. He turns water into blood. Both are natural. He brings frogs out. Frogs are real. He brings biting insects out. Everybody knows that in Alabama. Cattle die from pestilence. We see that happening. Hailstorms happen. We see that happening in Alabama. Locusts come and eat crops. That happens. All the while, we're walking through a God that's executing supposed to be other gods systematically by his own words. This is the one that I can't figure out. For three straight days, the sun goes dark. Now, some would say this would be a, a massive sand cloud. There's never been three days worth before, so I can't imagine that's taken place. Some say it's a total eclipse for three days. It doesn't happen often, but then would the land of Goshen also be darkened? This is the one that I find that I can't quite put my hand on. And the only logical explanation that I can have is that God does what God does. And whether or not he physically blocked out the sun, or he's done this before, caused mass blindness, I'm not quite sure. But one thing that God does is he takes away their sun god, Ra. Then it gets to the last and final plague. Let my people go, or else. And the or else in this situation is your firstborn will die. One thing you need to understand is that the Egyptians were not afraid to die. Death was welcome because the life that we're currently living is so hard and so gruesome that in the afterlife, everything would be okay. Everything would be fine. If we, if we did what we're supposed to do, if we served the gods, if we did their stuff, then we would die and go into the afterlife. One of their gods would have been the Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh was supposed to be the son of Ra, the sun god. He is the descendant of the gods. And so now we're watching this take place, that even the firstborn of the Pharaoh is not safe from God. So when you've put your faith and you've put your trust in all of these gods for your afterlife, and now all of your afterlife gods are now dead, what does that mean about you? These are the signs and the wonders that are talked about in, X, in Acts chapter 7. But I want to sit here for just a second if I can. It's kind of funny for us to think that we would bow down and worship a river. Like I've never seen that before. I've seen some stupid stuff before. But I've never seen somebody come down and just start worshiping a river. Or a dung beetle. Or the sun. Or a frog. Those are weird. Can we all agree? We would lock somebody up in the insane asylum for that. That's weird. But Thomas, the craziest part is, this morning I was awakened with this idea that the gods aren't dead. They've just been replaced.
But the Nile River produced life. It gave them the means for drinks. It gave them the means for food. It gave them the, the, the rods they would need. It would provide transportation for them. What is it that would provide transportation, provide drinks, provide food? Your job. See, what happens is that we, we, we've, we've flipped this, and, and we don't serve the river god anymore. Now happy is now our, our, our work god. It, it creates this idea that work is not evil, not by a long shot, but when it replaces the, 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 the spot that God is supposed to be my source, that God is supposed to be my everything, that everything that I put my hands to is because of God, now our work has become our God. Now I know that I know that I know. Listen to me. Hear me out. We have a lot of people. One guy here in the, in the second row was one of the first responders. Sometimes he has to go to work on Sundays. That's life. But the moment that we continually choose to put work over our spiritual life is the moment that our work becomes our little G-God. It's a delusional fact to look at all of us to go, I'm going to work 40, 60, 80 hours, whatever it may be, because I just don't have enough. I need more. 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 In other words, we're not satisfied with what God is doing before us, so now we're going to bow our knee and sacrifice what God does on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or whatever the spiritual con uh, connection moments are for us, and we're going to give that up. Or how about this? We get even crazier. Now we'll stop searching for a church that will meet my work schedule. Well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Well, I'll fit God in when I can. Well, every time there's a church service, and it's a good church, and I love that church, and I would love to be a part of that church, but it's always when I'm working, so I'll find, I'll find a pickleball group, which I'm not dogging because I'm in charge of pickleball. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call pickleball my spiritual times because they'll, they'll pray real quick before they play because work is my priority. Now, I need you to understand, the idea that I'm slamming work coming from a cova is a big deal. We love to work. Work is in our blood. But work is not my God. But then the frogs come out of the Nile, and we may not bow down to the God of fertility. You may not have a frog in your nightstand that you worship. But the whole purpose of fertility is to reproduce. And one, one thing that's, that's happening, Elaine, in our society is that uh, we're watching our kids rule everything. You know, it's the craziest thing. I'm watching kids determine now what church they go to. Kids determining what school we go to. Kids determining what we will and won't eat. Kids determining what we will and won't watch. Kids determining what I can and cannot wear. And kids determining all of these things. And what's happening is, is that when our offspring begin to dictate our spiritual life is the moment that we have switched our roles and our blessing has become our God. Children are a blessing. But they are not my God. God. 
I have no problem asking my kids what they want for lunch or when we're doing movie nights, what they want to watch on TV. But your kids cannot dictate your house. If you're a single parent, hear me out. You're an incredible person. I'm a single parent. I get it. It's hard. And sometimes just saying yes, just to shut them up is a great thing. But I cannot sacrifice the well-being of the spiritual life of my kids and put that into their hands to make those decisions. Moms and dads, if you are together, wonderful. We're so happy. Here's what I want you to understand when it comes to this, is that you two together are leading somewhere. But they're going to whine. I know. Ask me how I know. They're going to cry. I'm going to hurt their feelings. I know. You probably will. But there's a reason that the kids don't make important decisions, and that answer is they're kids. There's a reason why at 21 we've determined that's when somebody can drink alcohol. At 18, that's when somebody can go and vote and serve in our military. At 16, they can drive, and not at six, because a six-year-old that has been drinking and driving is a disaster. <laughs> And put them in a, in a booth to vote? What are we going to have? I mean, this is going to get bizarre. Now, they don't have life experience. They don't have life choices. And while we can teach our kids life choices and teach our kids life experiences and give them a little bit, one thing you cannot do is you cannot live in a house that is being dictated by people that are not old enough to drive a car. I know they're going to get their feelings hurt. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going on a diet because my scale told me I needed to. You know, Alan, when I go on a diet, the craziest thing happens. I get hungry. Anybody else been in that position? You notice that you can go a week or so without chocolate cake, but the moment you decide to not have sugar, chocolate cake manifests itself before you? <laughs> My diet starts next week. Um, when, you, when, when you are continually at a spot where you're eating three, 4,000 calories a day, I know that's a lot, I'm just hyperbolic for a second, and then all of a sudden you decide to eat 1,700 calories a day, your stomach goes, the heck is wrong with you? Anybody else ever been there? It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. But dying is worse. Heart disease is worse than me telling my stomach no. Heart attacks are a lot worse than the discomfort I have from a I used to watch my dad just like smack his stomach and say, shut up, and keep walking. And I'm like, you've got Tourette's. <laughs> I get it now. With our kids, they're going to be uncomfortable, but it's what's important for them. They need structure. They need moms. They need dads. They need the parent to go, this is what we're going to do. And when they pitch a fit, and I know they will, we can talk about that when I'm not filming. All right. <laughs> he attacks Geb, the god of the dirt. 
We were created by the hands of God with his life breathed into us. But the dirt is not meant to tell me how to live my life and where I get my purpose from. God is. And one thing that I can tell you that we continually find is that we get our priorities out of whack when we find our, our means from our creation than the creator. And while we may not go down and we not worship the sand itself, we will find things that we have created and things that were created, and we will put that above God. Because when God has told you to do something, and God has told you to be something, and we run to something that was created, we run to something to find our purpose, to find our fulfillment, it has now become our small g God. Time. He sends swarms of flies. This God that I told you about, the one that has the face of a, the head of a um, scarab or a dung beetle, was the one that controlled the sun. When we control the sun, it, it tells us our time. It tells us when we go to bed. It tells us when we wake up. It tells us when we go outside. It tells us when we stay inside. It tells us when we, what, everything that we do. And that sounds funny because we understand that the sun doesn't move, but we circle around the sun. So for Egyptians, they didn't catch that at that time, but we do now. So the idea of us worshiping a calendar is stupid, right? It's so dumb, right? Except for now, we have all these apps and all these websites and all these Facebook to figure out whether or not, because I'm a Leo, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. We've traded this God for a horoscope. It's the same thing. I found a great girl. She loves God. She serves God. She goes to church. Her family's nice. She's got her priorities, but she's a Libra, Libra, so I can't date her. I got to check my horoscope before I do anything. People shake their heads right now, but can I tell you, it is a huge part of our culture today is that we will determine our friendships, our work, our clothing, our everything based on astrology and all the cosmos, and the entire time God's going, I created all of this. Ask me. I know what's best for you, but no, it's so much easier for me just to go on my app to figure out what my day is going to be like and, and what, um, um, I don't even know, what moon I'm a part of and, and, and where the lineup of Venus is and, and how that's going to affect my day. And I'm going to call in sick today because it's not lining up according to my horoscope. And I'm going, you all have lost your minds. Stop worshiping false gods. He kills the god of Hathor, the god of cattle, livestock. Sends disease. He sends pestilence, which tells me from the inside out they died. This was their economy. This was a big part of their trade. And, and when we worship the God of mammon or money, or this God, Hathor, it, it's the same idea that from the inside out, it will die. That at the end of the day, God has got to be your source. And if you have a phone, if you have the news, I told Jessica this morning, I said, I went shopping yesterday, and I bought um, chips, not a bunch of chips, Tostitos chips, uh, I bought my daughter some Pringles. I uh, got a bread, peanut butter, 
I got some Velveeta cheese, Rotel, sausage, and Lysol, $72. I need a raise, by the way. Um, and, and, and you're sitting there going, what is happening? So if you can't tell right now that the economy is having some crazy pains right now, it's dying from the inside out. But that can't be my God. It can't keep me inside. It can't determine whether or not I sow into the kingdom or not. It can't determine whether or not I chase after God's plans or not. It can't determine whether or not I drive to church because the price of gas is too high for me to... Have we lost our minds? The answer is yes. (laughs) This one got me. The God of ISIS. It didn't get me because of the whole terrorism issue. It got me because it, it was, it turned their righteousness into unrighteousness. It was the God that was supposed to get them healed and whole so that they could go and worship. And yet now all of the magi- magicians and all of the people are now sick and they cannot even do anything. It reminds me of when, when we look in the New Testament and it says that my righteousness is as filthy rags to God's righteousness. We live in a very spiritual world where everybody is spiritual. Whether it's we're serving the cosmos or this big, huge God or, or maybe many gods or we're not quite sure, but I'm just a good person and I'm living life a good way and, and you can't judge me because I've got my good, I'm a good, I, I know my heart. I know my heart. Yeah, so does the Bible. And the God says that your heart is deceitfully wicked. You think you're good, but you're not. And right now, God's watching this whole thing, and he attacks the God of ISIS right now, and he's looking at these people going, you are not who you think you are. You think you're righteous, but you're not. And now, for the first time in the entire story of the the Exodus, the magicians and the astrologers, they can't stand before Pharaoh, so it's just Moses and Aaron and the Pharaoh now. Because they're unclean, they're unrighteous, and and this is the issues that we're dealing with today is that we're finding our righteousness not in the word of God, but we're finding our righteousness in false ideas. I'm a good person because I said a good post, or I'm a good person because I did something nice for somebody else, or, or I paid it forward at a Starbucks, or I held the door open for somebody, or I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. Have you lost every sense of what this is? You're only a good person if you're following the word of God. Not legalism, not pharisaical laws, but walking a life that is righteous before God. The first step for this whole thing is to look and go, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Not, I have this God of righteousness, so I'm okay. Because if a false God can make me feel like I'm good and and, and okay and everything is right, then I don't need Jesus. I can earn my righteousness. He sends hell. to kill the God of Newt. It, 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 it attacked their barley. What else did it attack? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> the barley and the flax. Has anybody ever eaten barley? Yeah, it's not that great. What do you use barley for? Huh? Bread. Bread? Okay, what else? Stews. Do you know what Egyptians use barley for? Because you guys are all spiritual? Somebody's got a smirk on their face, they get it. Beer. It's booze. Uh, Isn't it funny that the two things he attacks, the flax and the barley, are the two things that they would use to produce alcohol and their clothing? Those are the two primary uses of it in in, in Egyptian times. How did he kill it? He, He sent fire from heaven. Reminiscence of a story that's going to take place, in, you know, that, that took place a, a little bit beforehand in the story of Abraham, right? Remember two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, living their best lives? Hot girl summer? Got really hot? No pun intended. Yeah, we don't worship booze and we don't worship clothing, but we do worship comfort and, and joy and a good times. That's, that's one thing that, that I'll, I'll, I've walked through and go, it's the funness of life that's more important than a godly life. God, I'll serve you as long as I can have my fun. God, I'll serve you. Just don't touch this area of my life. God, I'll serve you. And this isn't a, an issue uh, on clothing or alcohol, but it is an issue right now that I'm having with, within ourselves that we're living our life based on comfort and not the cross. When every decision that I make is based on whether or not this is going to be fun or not is a wrong decision. Whether or not this life is going to have a functional relationship with God is my number one source, not whether or not it feels good. God, I'll serve you as long as you don't take the fun things away. Then he attacks Seth. He sends insects to attack the food supply. <clears throat> They're still on the stalk. This, he, 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 sends, he sends these locusts to, to attack their harvest. And Lauren, what a harvest is in this case is it's an idea of I'm sowing into something for a future use. I'm going to plant something that I'm not going to eat today, but on a later date, I'm going to, I'm going to grab a hold of it and eat it. I'm going to take 4% out of my paycheck every single week, and I'm going to put it into something for a later date. I'm going to, to begin to set money aside for my retirement. I'm, I'm, I, this is where I'm going to be doing. No, my, my future life is more important than my current spiritual walk. And, and what's happening right now, and while having a 401k and, a, and an IRA and, and, a, and a retirement system is beautiful, please God, have one. Can I tell you, my future plans are not more cannot be more important than my current spiritual condition. I'm not living my life based on what's going to happen in my financial world in 2045. I'm asking myself today, right now, in this very moment, am I walking with God or am I, or am I that person that's continually looking in the future going, I'll get right one day. 
I'll get right five days from now. Once, once everything's done, once my kids are out of the house, and we, we'll, we'll do that. Once I get married and once I get settled down, then I'll do that. Once I have all of these things and I'm out of my 20s and I'm out of my 30s and my knees start hurting when I wake up, then I'll, start, I'll stop partying and I'll start serving God. And When all of that's done and over with, then I'll do all that stuff. Can I tell you, you cannot live your life for tomorrow because we don't know about tomorrow. Right now, God sends locusts and eats up their tomorrow. To picture yourself as an Egyptian. You've seen the waters turn to blood. You've had frogs all in your house and then they've died. You've had biting and blood-sucking insects suck the life out of you. You've watched your cattle be eaten up from the inside out. You've watched hail come down and burn up your party life. You've had this moment now where your tomorrow has now just gotten eaten up by locusts. At what point do you go, we're going to kill Pharaoh and we're going to let these people out? Then God makes a pitch black dark for three days. He attacks the God of Ra. And this is where everything gets super personal now. Maybe you're not the person that worships your job. That's awesome. Maybe you're not the person that is continually letting your kids rule your house. That's great. Maybe you're not the person that has been partying or the person that's living your life for tomorrow. Or maybe you're not the person that has done, uh, that, 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 that's, that's living their life based on the economy. Maybe you're not the, the, the person that's doing all of those other previous gods, but this is where things become kind of personal for me, and that's because when God attacked the sun, he attacked the center of their universe. And for many of us, the God of Ra is spelled M-E. Go on a journey with me for a second. Let's just say God hypothetically used an eclipse to block out the sun. So far, God has used nature for everything, so it's fair to say he probably did it again. Let's say he didn't use mass blindness, but he used an eclipse. He took a moon and lined it up with the sun and blocked it out. Ira has been a teacher now for... 62 years? 64 years? <laughs> Ira's been teaching for a long time. How mad this, Ira? What's bigger, the sun or the moon? The moon's drastically smaller than the sun. The moon's smaller than the earth. And the earth is a lot smaller than the sun. So the idea that something so small could block something so big to ruin three days of their lives should tell me in my personal life what has taken place right now that if I am the center of my universe that when something so small gets in between me and what I want that my whole life implodes. And darkness, depression, anxiety, and worry typically aren't these big huge issues in life. They're typically the small things that block in between what we want to happen. I'm not talking about somebody who's got uh, an unfortunate chemical imbalance. We're, not, we're, we're talking about regular, here we are right now. 
Because as long as I am the center of my universe, as long as I am raw, as long as I am the light source, as long as I am everything to me is the moment that I am responsible for me, I am in charge of me, I dictate my life, I, 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 I. And you know what's the sad part? Is I stink. And that amount of pressure and that amount of weight to be self-sufficient, to be self-controlling, to be all of those things can create such a weight on my shoulders that darkness creeps into my soul. But there is one light that can never be burned out, and that, that light is Jesus. He is the bright and shining morning star. He is the one that can illuminate the darkness, and if he is the center of the universe, and he is the center of it all, there is no moon, there is no stars, there is no planets, there is no nothing that can block out his light. Yeah, right. yes. But as long as we have something else in the center of our universe, it can be blocked out. So many times in my life, I've allowed myself or something else to be the center of my universe. It has been my all. It has been my everything. And, and it has dictated my life. And then it gets taken away, and I'm lost, and I'm in total darkness. Maybe it's a job, and it gets taken away, and you have no purpose anymore. Maybe it's a relationship that gets taken away, and now you don't know because you found your everything in that person. Maybe it's your health, and now you're dealing with, with, with issues in your health, and now you can't do what you want to do. Or maybe it was, uh, insert whatever you want to put into that spot right now, your economy, your food, your clothing, your whatever, and when it gets taken away, are you left in total darkness? You say, Pete, I don't bow down to anything, and, and I love God, but here's the thing. What's the one thing that could be taken away today from your life, and you would be found in total darkness? Whatever that one thing is, is the center of your universe. I've had that happen. I've bowed my knee to Jesus, and I've repented of my sins, and, and I've done all that, and even post that moment, I've still put things above him. Everybody who's been a believer can say they've done the same thing. And this is where a gut check happens right now. Because the God of Ra, the sun God, produced heat and warmth and did everything. But when he gets taken away, then what? And for three days, they found themselves in darkness. Eerily familiar to when Jesus dies. And he was in a tomb for three days. The difference is, when Jesus died, he came back brighter than ever. When your God dies, it doesn't come back. And the last plague, man, he attacks the firstborn. It's this idea that whatever I've invested my life into is now gone. I'm not here to say that God's creating doom and destruction. I'm not here to say that God is going to send uh, our modern day equivalent of plagues and pestilence to wipe us out. I'm not preaching doom or gloom at all. I'm just asking this one simple question, and that is this. What is the thing that pops in your head over the past 25 to 30 minutes that goes, ouch? Because that is the one thing that, if it was taken away, 
that we need to go ahead and deal with now. God is a jealous God. Here's the crazy part. For most of my life, I've, I've read the story and go, man, Pharaoh, just stop. Just stop. After one, two, three, just stop. And a few different times, Pharaoh falls down, in fact, and says, your God is real. Your God is real. Your God is real. And then he changes his mind over and over and over again. And, and this is the, uh, the duality of the story, and that is this. If God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart, would Pharaoh have let the people go? Maybe. Maybe. But God cares more about making sure that your life is serving the one true God that he's not going to allow false gods to reign in your life. That sounds painful, but it's actually love. He doesn't want you living in darkness. He doesn't want you living lost. He doesn't want you with a false sense of security. He doesn't want you to build your house on sand. He doesn't want you to have painful experiences. What he's doing right now in your world and in my world, and right now as we listen to, to this sermon is this, is what are the things in our lives that we need to take care of now before he does? Because he will. And if you're dealing with pride, there's a humbling moment. Ask me how I know. If you're dealing with other issues in your life, we all have sins. I'm not, I'm not talking about oops moments. I'm not even talking about problems that we have in our world but I'm asking you this question now is this what are the things that we have set up that are now bigger than our God have taken the place and maybe we've given God nine seats but what's that tenth seat that we've given something else to maybe we've looked at God and go hey you're awesome and all of these things but and, and I will serve you with all of these things as long as I have my health God, I'll serve you with everything that I am as long as I've got this job. God, I'll serve you with everything I am as long as I've got my kids. God, I'll serve you with everything that I am as long as I have my, my fun times. God, I'll serve you with everything that I have as long as the economy is still holding up. God, I'll serve you as, with everything that I have as long as I've got my, my resources for the future taken care of. God, I'll serve you with everything that I am as long as I have my purpose and other things. God, I'll serve you with everything that I have as long as I can, 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 can find an easy way to get my, my peace and my, my joy and my direction. No, God wants him to be your all in all. And I'll put it this way as bluntly as I can as we close. Jesus is coming back for his bride. And it's not an open relationship. God's not coming back and going to allow you to have your side piece. God's not coming back and going to go, absolutely, I'll be one of your husbands. 
God is looking for his bride. He is looking for the people that will stand up and say, I may not do everything right, and I may not have my, 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 all my boxes checked, and I may not be super spiritual, and I may not have all that, but God, I'm continually submitting my life to you. I'm asking you, God, to point out the areas of my life, the, the spiritual relationships that I need to cut off so that I can be what you've called me to be, spotless, blameless, perfect before you. He's looking for that. God doesn't share. He doesn't. And I know that's not fun for people. And in our current modern culture, the idea of one God is not okay. But it's the facts. He's wanting you and you alone. And he has this anticipation that you will want him and him alone. There is no God but Yahweh. Do not marry yourself to false gods. And it's so sad because after all of this, that same group of people, Dad, that watched all of these plagues, that same group, not five generations later, the same group, not 400 years later, the same group worshipped false gods. Not decades later, not tons of years later, the same year they get released, they make a golden calf. And God threw them to the curb. He said, bye, you're all going to die. He wiped them out and laughed all the way. And he said, that's what you get. No. When they served false gods, there was judgment, but there was repentance. When they did the golden calf, there was judgment, but there was repentance. When snakes filled the land because of sin, there was a cross that they could look to and get healed. And right now, you may have been delivered and you may be setting on the right path and you may have done a lot of great things. But right now, even after that, we still have these false gods that we're dealing with. And I'm here to tell you, it's time to turn back to the cross. It's uncomfortable. It is not always fun. And sometimes death is painful, but it's necessary. We must divorce the false husbands that we have had and cling ourselves to the one true God from this day forward. So with every head bowed, I'm not asking you to stand up for which God is yours. I'm not asking you to signal one through ten. But I'm going to say this. I believe today there is a moment of reaction to what God is doing. And if you're in this place and you say, Pete, I have never served God. Ever. Or maybe I got saved or baptized in a church when I was a kid, but I have systematically lived my life against God's will. And I am ready to make Jesus my Lord and Savior 
If that's you, just raise your hand up real quick and we can put them back down. Yeah, boom. Glory. How about this? This is for the second group. This is no pressure. This is between what God's doing in you. You say, Pete, after today, I've realized that there are some idols in my life. There are areas in my life that if pressed, I would say, I have married myself to more than God. And it's time that I deal with these issues. It's time that I give myself solely to his plan and to his purpose. And I want to disassociate myself with those foreign and fake gods. If that's you, you can throw your hand up and put them back down. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jeez. So many people. So many. Give it another second. Five, four, yep, three, yep, two, one. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then I, I want you to join me in prayer. This is what we're going to do. Father God, I just thank you for an incredible day. I thank you for a moment in your word and worship. We thank you that as we have wrapped this up today for those who are raising their hands to, to dedicate their lives to you, to get their life on straight, and to make you their Lord and Savior. You saw that, and, and, and I saw those, and, I, and I, we say yes and amen, and welcome home, and, and welcome to the family, and all those wonderful things. But God, there are also people here today that have raised their hands because they have found themselves connected to things they shouldn't be connected to. And they're ready to break ties, soul ties. So God, today, this is what we're going to do. God, I just thank you that today we disassociate ourselves. And in your own words, say something like this. I, re, uh, I put aside my fake gods. I put aside my fake lives. I put aside the, the idols. God, today, I disassociate myself. I, I, I separate myself from these things. Whatever words you want to use, just right now, go ahead as I'm praying. You can say it under your breath. Say whatever it is that I no longer am claiming this in my life and that I'm no longer serving manna. I'm no longer serving the economies of, of, of man. I'm no longer serving just the health or the God of this or the God of that. Whatever it is, God, I just thank you that we are breaking those souls ties today that we no longer and that today we connect ourselves to you. Today, God, we stay in this moment and say yes to your will, yes to your way. God, let it not be the ways of man, but let it be the ways of God that we serve and, and seek after. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. When you go home, for those who raised their hand, there was a lot of us who did. I want you to take that time today. Go home and, and, and make that commitment. Re, as you would, uh, there's, uh, as a wedding vow, going, God, I connect myself to you here and I disconnect myself from there. Your mouth and your words have power. And we'll talk about that more later on. We love you guys. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.